Hello, my fellow divers, and welcome back to another episode of Crime Dive, where we take a deep dive into crime. I'm your host, Lexi. Thank you so much for listening and watching. If you're new, welcome to the water. We're so happy to have you. If you're returning, welcome back to the water. We missed you, and thank you for coming back to take another deep dive into crime with us. As always, please be sure to check out our episode description. There you can find the links to my TikTok and Instagram, as well as a link to support us and help us out over here at Crime Dive. You can also find my email for any business inquiries. Today we are going to be talking about the unsolved murder of Chandra Levy. This case is probably one of the biggest unsolved cases in DMV history next to Relisha Rudd who I also have an episode on if you want to go ahead and check that out. It's audio only that was before I started doing video but it details the entire case. I actually live in the DMV. I've mentioned that before in one of my episodes. This case was really really huge and I Definitely remember it. It was like a core memory in my childhood. Not necessarily when it happened, but when there was a resurgence. And I'm going to get into that a little bit later. But with that, let's get right into the case. Chandra Ann Levy was born on April 14th, 1977 in Cleveland, Ohio. Her parents were named Robert and Susan Levy, and she had a brother named Adam. Chandra was described as being responsible, goal-oriented. She really loved to be around people and help them. She was very independent, and she was just overall a very driven young woman. She was actually really interested in politics and dreamed of becoming an FBI agent one day. She was very, very ambitious. Whatever she wanted to set out to accomplish, she made sure she did. Chandra attended San Francisco State University where she studied journalism and upon graduating, she decided to attend the University of Southern California where she studied public administration and criminal justice. In the fall of 2000, Chandra decided to move from her home in Modesto, California with her family and over to Washington, DC, where she had gotten an internship working for the Federal Bureau of Prisons. Now she was doing this internship in order to get credit for the graduate program that she was currently working on at the University of Southern California. She moved into the Newport apartment building in DuPont Circle, and that was going to be her home for the remainder of her internship. Chandra was enjoying living in Washington, D.C. She had independence, she was on her own, she was doing her own thing, and she was doing something that she enjoyed, and she was really taking the steps in order to one day become an FBI agent. On May 1st of 2001, Chandra was set to call her parents and let them know that she was going to be flying home to Modesto, California, where she was going to return in order to attend her college graduation. And she was supposed to let her parents know what time her flight was, what time it was landing, so that way they could prepare for her arrival, but they never heard from her. Chandra's father decided that he was going to call her a few times to make sure she was okay, but she didn't answer. So he continued to call. And at this point, he was starting to get very worried because it wasn't like Chandra to just not answer the phone or not get back to them. Around 12 p.m., Chandra's father decided to call the DC police in order to figure out what was wrong and have somebody go over and check on her apartment. Remember, they're all the way in Modesto, California, so they can't just get to her quickly. The police didn't treat this very seriously at first. They were like, she's a grown woman. She's allowed to not answer her phone or not be home. But Chandra's parents knew that something wasn't right because it just wasn't like her to not get a hold of them. The DC police decided to send a squad car over to her apartment to check things out. And what they found was pretty interesting. When they walked in, they found no signs of a struggle or no signs of forced entry, but her purse, ID, wallet, 
cell phone, and luggage were all still left in her apartment. Now these are very valuable items that you wouldn't normally leave your home without. And the fact that all of these things were there and Chandra wasn't was definitely a cause for concern. Some things that they didn't find that were very odd were Chandra's keys, as well as a ring that she always wore. If Chandra has her keys, that means she left willingly. But then why didn't she bring her purse with all of her valuables in it, her wallet, her phone, her ID. Why did she leave these things there? But she took her keys with her. So this made it look like Chandra intended on being out for a short period of time before returning to her apartment. So where was she? Investigators also found Chandra's laptop in her apartment. When they tried to get into some of the files that were on her computer, they ended up corrupting them. They had to have an IT professional come in and fix the files. But this was not a quick process. This was not something that could be done in a few minutes. It was going to take a long time. So for now, whatever was on that laptop, they don't have access to. There's actually a surveillance camera on the front of Chandra's apartment building, but for some reason, police did not request this footage. They did go back to Chandra's apartment a week later in order to obtain this footage, but by that point, it had already been recorded over, which is so frustrating. That footage could have held so many answers. They could have found out what time Chandra left, what she was wearing, who she was with, whether or not she was with somebody at all. This really could have answered a lot of questions for police and the family because they didn't ask for this footage in a timely enough manner, it was gone. We still don't know the answer to some of these questions. Chandra's parents decided to go through her phone bill to see if they could find out who she was talking to right before she went missing. And there was one number that Chandra's mother, Susan, had seen that she talked to a lot at all hours of the night. So her mother decided to call this number, but she didn't get a response. The voicemail, however, showed that this number belonged to the office of 53-year-old state politician, Gary Condit. Now, Gary Condit was a state representative in Modesto, California, and he was married, he was very powerful, he was high up in the community. So Susan was a bit confused. What is this man doing calling my 24-year-old daughter? Why were they even talking in the first place? And it was at this point that Susan remembered that Chandra had actually told her that she was dating a secret person that she didn't want anybody to know about, and that this man was pretty powerful, so they weren't allowed to talk about it. Chandra's aunt later came out and said that Chandra had confided in her about dating an older man who was very important and powerful and that their relationship was to be kept a secret. She also said that Chandra told her that the only reason that this man was with his wife was because she was sick and that it was merely a marriage of convenience. Something is going on here that definitely looks pretty fishy. So let's jump back to October of 2000. At this point, Chandra was still living in Modesto, California, and this was actually right before she moved to DC. Her and a friend happened to visit Gary Condit's office. This was the first time that they had ever met, and Gary Condit decides to give them a tour of the state capitol. Very shortly after this visit, Chandra and Gary start calling each other on the phone, and their affair begins. Jumping back to May of 2001, when Susan finds Gary Condit's phone number, she ends up leaving a message message for his office to get back to her. And Gary actually calls Susan back personally, probably because he recognized her last name. It was at this moment that Susan told Gary that Chandra was missing. And she said he sounded very shocked, very disheartened, and she was very confused as to what their relationship was. So she proceeds to ask him, 
why have you been calling my daughter all hours of the night? And he said that, oh, he was just giving her some advice on how to become an FBI agent and that he really didn't know her too well. And it was just normal for him to work after hours and sometimes talk to people all hours of the night. Susan definitely thought it was still a bit odd though. She definitely didn't take this for what it was and personally, I don't blame her. She just had a feeling that something was off, especially considering what Chandra had told her about dating somebody who was very powerful and high up that was to be kept a secret. Chandra's parents decided to fly to DC from their home in Modesto, California in order to help find Chandra. And they stayed in the media almost every single day. They didn't want Chandra's case to just be forgotten and they pleaded for her return on a consistent basis. Wonderful, wonderful person. We just miss her. Yes, we do. I want to have faith that she, she, she will come back. This is really how you get stuff done. You have to stay in the media as much as possible. Otherwise people will pretty much glaze over it. Sometimes it's even hard to get this media coverage, but once you have it, hold on to it. And that's exactly what Chandra's parents did. The family also released home videos that showed Chandra interacting with her family. This really made the public resonate with her story so much more. It's not very often that you get moving images of a victim. Most of the time, it's a still image of them put up on the news. Definitely makes you empathize with the family all the more. I'm glad it's right. My program takes me from Los Angeles to Sacramento to Washington. This reminds me of the Amber Hagerman case that I actually covered a few weeks ago. They had so much home footage of her that was put up on the news and it really made people resonate with her story that much more. Just seeing her interact with her family, have a birthday party, it really makes you want to do everything you can to help solve the case. After a month, police were finally able to get inside of Chandra's laptop after corrupting those files. And what they found the day she went missing was that she made a few internet searches. At 1027, she made a search to the Drudge Report, Southwest Airlines, Amtrak, and the National Geographic. At around 12.24 p.m., she also emailed her mother, letting her know about some flight times that she had found. Chandra also made a search about Rock Creek Park, specifically the Klingle Mansion, which is a historic landmark that is in Rock Creek Park. And this was the last search that Chandra ever made. Police definitely thought it was interesting that Chandra was searching up Rock Creek Park, so they decided to go there and search. Now, Rock Creek Park is huge. It's about four miles long, 1,700 acres. It's very, very big. I've actually driven past it before. Very, very expansive. And the DC police are not used to searching areas like this. They're an urban police department. They're used to searching in cities and apartment buildings and sidewalks and on the street. They're not used to searching in huge woodsy areas. But nonetheless, they decided to search three times within two months, but they didn't find anything related to Chandra. In the meantime, they searched airports, abandoned buildings, anywhere they could find and think of where Chandra might be or any trace of her, but they still didn't find anything. And unfortunately, Chandra's parents had to return home after seven weeks of searching. And I can't imagine how hard that was for them. I mean, you want to stay there as long as possible in order to help with the investigation, but you do still have your home to attend to. So the fact that they had to leave without their daughter and really without any answers is just so upsetting. And how do you sleep at night not knowing what happened to your child?
Police decided to circle back to Gary Condit to see if they could find if he had any connection to Chandra's disappearance, considering the fact that his number was found on her phone log a lot. But Gary continued to deny that he had any involvement with her that was intimate at all. He was actually directly asked by a detective if they had an intimate relationship, to which he responded, I don't think we need to go there. It was found that Gary had called Chandra twice the day she went missing, one at 6.30 and one at 11.45. I'm assuming it was in the evening considering the nature of the conversation, but Chandra did not answer both times because by this point she was already missing. So I'm going to play the first voicemail for you here that was left at 6.30. About 6.30, I haven't heard from you. Maybe you're out of the, out of the country or something. Anyway, give me a call to pick up this message. Sorry. In case you didn't hear that, Gary said that it was 6.30 and that he hadn't heard from her, so he was just assuming that she was out of the country. So the fact that you talk so often that if you don't hear from somebody by 6.30, the only way that could be possible is if they're out of the country, shows that you probably talk a lot. Now he could have been being sarcastic, sure. Stands to reason, they talk a lot. The second voicemail was left at 11.45 p.m. and I'm gonna play that one for you here. Give me a call, give me a... Uh a rundown on kind of what your schedule is. Things are looking pretty good for me today. Anyway, bye. In case you didn't hear this voicemail, Gary says that his schedule's looking pretty good and he wants to know what hers looks like as well. This means that Gary knew Chandra was going to be coming home to Modesto. I wanna remind you, Gary is the state representative of Modesto, California. He's currently living where Chandra's family home is. And now that she's returning home, he is making plans to meet up with her. He knows when she's coming home. He wants to know what her schedule looks like. He wants to see her. They definitely had plans to meet up. Some argue that Gary was trying to cover his tracks and maybe he already knew that Chandra was missing and he just called her pretending like he didn't know. This reminds me of the Scott and Lacey Peterson case. I have not covered that one, but I definitely want to. Scott called Lacey after she had already gone missing and a lot of people theorized that maybe he knew she was missing because he had done something to her, but he was calling her as if he was clueless in order to cover his tracks. That hasn't been proven in this case, but definitely was an interesting point. I think these calls are very interesting considering how well Gary doesn't know Chandra. I mean, why were you calling her a few hours apart? I mean, was it really that unheard of for her to get back to you if you didn't know each other that well? It just doesn't make any sense. Normally, if there's somebody that I talk to a lot and I haven't heard back from them in a few hours, I would call them again. But if I didn't know you, then it wouldn't be that out of the ordinary. But that's just me personally. The public really pressured Gary to come clean about what he knew. They didn't like the fact that he was being evasive and they figured that this was because he had something to do with Chandra's disappearance. Some argue that Gary was just being evasive because he was married and he didn't want to hurt his marriage, but things were just starting to look very odd. Gary was actually seen by a bystander throwing a watch box away in a park at night, a day before police were set to search his home. Now this watch was said to have been given to Gary by a 29 year old woman from California who he had been supposedly having an affair with. And people wondered, why are you throwing this watch box away if it's not something significant? Maybe he didn't want evidence of another affair getting out because then it would legitimize the claims about him having an affair with Chandra. But that ended up happening anyway. Because another woman did end up coming forward named Anne Marie Smith, and she said that she had also been having an affair with Gary Condit. She said the same thing that Chandra's aunt said that Chandra had told her how Gary's wife was sick and he was really just with her in order to take care of her, that there was no intimate connection between the two. So 
definitely makes it a little bit more legitimate, the fact that this woman was now saying the same thing that Chandra had allegedly told her family. But if that wasn't damning enough, police actually collected DNA samples from Chandra's underwear that they had found in her apartment. And there were semen samples in her underwear. And after being tested, they found that the samples matched none other than Gary Condit. Eventually, Gary decides to come clean to police during a formal interview where he does in fact admit that his relationship with Chandra Levy was romantic and sexual. This made people even more suspicious of Gary because he lied for so long and now it was finally coming out that he did in fact have a relationship with Chandra. He also put up a $10,000 reward for her to be found and this definitely sparked a lot of people's interest because they wondered why was he being so generous? Was he just trying to look good to his constituents and maybe wanting to get reelected? Or was this his guilty conscience because he had lied for so long? Or did he know more than he was letting on? On August 21st, 2001, Gary gave an interview with ABC's Connie Chung, and I'm gonna play that for you here. Congressman Condit, do you know what happened to Chandra Levy? No, I do not. Did you have anything to do with her disappearance? No, I didn't. Did you kill Chandra Levy? I did not. We had a close relationship. I liked her very much. May I ask you, was it a sexual relationship? Well, Connie, I've been married for 34 years, and uh, I've not been a a perfect man and I've made my share of mistakes, but um, out of respect for my family and out of a specific request from the Levy family, uh, I think it's best that I not get into those details uh, about Chandra Levy. Now what's interesting is in the interview, he says that he doesn't wanna give any details regarding his relationship with Chandra at the request of her family. But Chandra's mother, Susan, came out and said that this wasn't true. If anything, they wanted details. They never told Gary not to give details in this interview. Uh, Mr. Conant has not been very truthful to me up till now, and I think that there is things that are unknown and uh, the truth has to come out. This is definitely something that he was trying to do because he didn't want to take responsibility and he didn't want to delve any deeper than he had to. And to be honest, this whole interview just made him look really bad. He didn't elaborate on anything, so people were even more suspicious of him than they already had been. Gary's lawyers had actually caught wind that the police were going to conduct a polygraph test on them. So what they did was get one step ahead and they decided to hire one of the best polygraph examiners in the country in order to conduct a polygraph exam on Gary. And he ended up passing stating that he had nothing to do with Chandra's disappearance. Now it was very hard to dispute these results because the test was conducted by somebody who was very, very credible. Them getting one step ahead of the police definitely exonerated him. Not to mention, Gary had a pretty solid alibi on May 1st, 2001, the day Chandra went missing. He was having lunch with the vice president at the time, Dick Cheney, who had come all the way to Modesto, California in order to eat with him. Gary wasn't even in DC at the time. Now some argue that he scheduled this specifically the day Chandra went missing while he had someone else carry out something against her, but this has not been proven. As of now, Gary Condon has been exonerated even though he was definitely lying and being very evasive and secretive. A year after Chandra went missing, there were really no developments in the case and police still didn't know who had taken her or what had happened to her. But on May 22nd, 2002, a man called 911 saying that he was in Rock Creek Park walking his dog when his dog had gone up a hill and he had come back with a bone in his mouth that he was certain was a human skull. 
Yeah, hi. I was walking my dog in the woods this morning, and I came across a human skull. Sure. Uh, absolutely. I don't know anything else that looks like it or that has filling. I've got a, a, a dog leash marking the spot. It's maybe 100 yards. The area in which the man was in was actually a very remote area. It wasn't near the road at all. It was actually off of a very secluded trail within Rock Creek Park. So police decided to report to this area and they found down a steep ravine, scattered remains. They also found a tennis shoe, a sports bra, a shirt that said property of USC athletics, a Walkman, jogging pants that were turned inside out and had the pant legs tied in a knot, underwear, broken sunglasses, and lipstick. The underwear and the shirt were also turned inside out. Around 6 p.m. that day, police were able to positively identify the remains as being those of 24-year-old Chandra Levy. We uh, have received word from Dr. Arden over at the uh, DC Medical Examiner's Office that the remains found earlier today are in fact Chandra Levy. And finally, after a year of searching, Chandra has been found. Of course, it wasn't in the way that anybody wanted her to be. One thing I thought about was the fact that Chandra lived on the other side of the country opposite of her parents, and they really didn't get to spend much time with her before she was killed. It's almost like you don't get to say goodbye to the person. San Francisco State, do you have a boyfriend? I'm really jealous. <laughs> Okay, say happy birthday, your mother. Happy birthday. Tell me a lover. Oh, I love you. People were definitely confused as to why police did not find Chandra sooner. I mean, it had been over a year and she was found by a man's dog. They were supposed to have searched the park. They searched three times. So why did they not find anything? Police said that they didn't search deep into the park. They only searched along the roads. Stands to reason if somebody is going to leave someone's remains in a park, they probably won't do it next to the road. Not in every case, but most likely they would leave the person in a more secluded area. So you'd think they would have checked those areas first instead of just completely excluding them. People were definitely frustrated that the police did not search Rock Creek Park thoroughly enough because maybe they could have found Chandra sooner. By this point, it had been over a year. There's so much evidence that's gone now because she was out in the elements, the clothes and all of her belongings were also out in the elements, and a lot of forensic evidence and DNA could be gone by now. According to people who knew Chandra, she was actually afraid to go to Rock Creek Park alone. It was very interesting that she was found there in the first place. Some theorize that she went there to meet somebody that she knew, or she was taken there. But either way, they just knew that Chandra wouldn't go there by herself. Police also realized that Chandra's keys and a necklace that she always wore were still missing. They didn't find these items at her apartment, so they assumed that they were with her, but they still couldn't find them. Chandra's autopsy was completed soon after she was found, and the coroner ruled that the manner of her death was homicide, but the cause of her death was still undetermined. There just wasn't enough evidence found on her remains or her clothes to figure out what really happened to her. One thing they did find, however, was that her hyoid bone was broken. If you don't know what a hyoid bone is, it's a bone in your neck, and it's usually broken whenever someone is strangled. They haven't been able to officially confirm that this was Chandra's cause of death, but there's really nothing else to go off of. The rest of her bones remained unharmed, and there was no DNA. 
The Levy family decided to hire a private investigator named Joe McCann in order to figure out what really happened to Chandra. And he actually went back to the area her remains were found and continued to search the area a little bit. But one thing he noticed was that there were so many leaves on the ground and he wondered how could police have conducted a thorough search of this area with all these leaves on the ground? So he decides to rake the leaves out of the way. Almost immediately, he finds Chandra's femur bone, which is the biggest bone in the human body. And the police missed it. Eventually, he calls police back out there to let them know, um, I found one of Chandra's bones that you guys missed. It's actually the biggest bone in the body. So police go back out there, they continue searching, and they find more of Chandra's bones. They were being pretty sloppy in this instance. They weren't really searching as hard as they could have or should have. How is it that this man went out there, raked some leaves and found Chandra's biggest bone in a few minutes? But yet you guys searched three times and you didn't find any of it. In 2008, there was a huge break in the case. This is when I heard about the case for the first time. I was eight years old. Like I said, I live in the DMV. This case was so big at that time that I actually thought this is when the crime occurred in 2008, but it wasn't. It occurred seven years earlier. Because this update was so huge, Chandra's case was plastered all over the media for a second time. I literally have core memories of seeing Chandra Levy's face on the news as a child. Like that's how big this case was at the time. Police had began focusing on 27 year old Ingmar Gwandike. And I'll be referring to him as Gwandike for the remainder of the episode because given interviews and research that I've come across, that seems to be what he went by. Guantique was a man who had immigrated from El Salvador and he had been convicted of attacking two women in Rock Creek Park. One of these attacks occurred just two weeks after Chandra went missing, the other occurring just two months after Chandra went missing. Now these victims were able to fight Guantique off and they ended up escaping and police wondered, did he have something to do with Chandra's disappearance and eventual death? Was she not able to fight him off so he was able to kill her? That's what police wanted to find out. Now he was sentenced to 10 years in prison in February of 2002 for the attacks of the two women that had gotten away. And they asked him if he knew or recognized Chandra. And he said that he did in fact recognize her and that he saw her in the park, but that they never interacted. He ended up taking a polygraph test and he did in fact pass. So he was ruled out as a suspect or having any connection to Chandra's case. But later on, police argued that maybe the results weren't the most accurate because the polygraph exam was conducted through a translator. Guandique's first language is Spanish. So he needed a translator in order to participate in the exam. And police argued that this may have skewed his results. So they wanted to bring him back in for more questioning. Now there are a lot of similarities in the cases that Guandique has been convicted of as well as Chandra's case, such as the fact that all the women involved were alone, they were jogging, they had a Walkman on, and they all occurred in the same place, Rock Creek Park. Now it's not common for things like this to occur in Rock Creek Park. And the fact that three attacks occurred within a few months of each other definitely was a cause for concern. Police wondered if this was more than a coincidence. So Guantique was asked once again if he recognized Chandra and thought she was attractive, to which he responded, yes. They thought that maybe he was lying about the fact that he didn't have any interaction with Chandra. Otherwise, how did he remember what she looked like 
all those years later. According to Guandique's landlady, he had actually missed work the day that Chandra went missing. She also saw him with a few injuries on him, such as scratches on his face, a cut on his lip, and a bloody eye. Now, Guandique said that he got these injuries from his ex-girlfriend, who he had actually broken up with right before Chandra went missing. But some have argued if he was given these injuries by Chandra herself after trying to fend him off. This hasn't really been proven yet, but according to detectives, Guandique also had a picture of Chandra in his cell that was cut out from a magazine. They definitely were getting very bad vibes from Guandique. They felt like he might know more than he was letting on. They also took the account of an inmate informant named Armando Morales, and he claimed that Guandique confessed to killing Chandra to him. He said that Guandique admitted to killing Chandra, but that he did not assault her. As to why Armando came forward about this, he said it was because he had a family of his own and he really wanted to turn his life around and do what he could to help Chandra's family. On November 22nd, 2010, Ingmar Guandique was convicted of the murder of Chandra Levy, and he was sentenced to 60 years in prison. After nine years, Chandra's family was finally getting the justice that they had been looking for. It was nice for them to know that whoever did this wasn't just roaming the streets and getting away with what they did to their daughter. But in 2015, just five years into Guandique's sentence, his conviction was vacated. Jailhouse informant Armando Morales was not very credible. He had been known to cooperate with police before in order to get special privileges or a reduced sentence. And sometimes he would lie in order to obtain these privileges. At the time when Armando testified against Guandique, he had 13 years left in his prison sentence, but somehow he was released just a year later. He said he wasn't looking for anything out of testifying, that he didn't mind if his sentence wasn't shortened, but that he just wanted to help Chandra's family. But yet he was released a year later. Now, jurors said that they really didn't believe Armando anyway, and that they really didn't use his testimony in order to make their decision to convict Guandique. What their decision was based off was mostly the accounts of the two women that had been attacked by him in Rock Creek Park weeks after Chandra went missing. Another trial was scheduled in order to bring Guandique up on the same charges and possibly present new evidence against him that could connect him to Chandra's murder. But the prosecution admitted that they just didn't have enough concrete evidence against Guandique. Everything was merely circumstantial. There was no DNA. So the charges against Guandique were dropped and he was deported back to El Salvador in May of 2017. I can't begin to imagine how excruciating that had to have been for the family to think that they had finally gotten justice for Chandra just for it to be taken away in one fell swoop because there just wasn't enough evidence. It's like opening up old wounds all over again. Still to this day, whoever did this to Chandra is just walking free and they don't know who did it. Chandra Levy's case is still unsolved to this day and there are really no leads as to what happened to her. Police are trying to see if they can use new technology to find any DNA on Chandra's clothes and see if they could paint a picture of what happened to her. But as of right now, that has yet to be done. In October of 2016, Gary Condit sat down and gave an interview on the Dr. Phil show once again denying that he had an intimate relationship with Chandra. I don't know if he forgot that he already admitted this or that there was DNA linking them, but 
he was still going on there denying it. Now I can include clips of that because Dr. Phil is very strict about what you can include of his, pretty much you can't include anything. So I will link it below if you want to watch it. Chandra's family obviously still wants to find justice for her. It's really hard for them to get closure on the situation knowing that who did this is still out free when they have had to say goodbye to their daughter and their sister and their niece and their friend. It's really not fair what happened to Chandra and the fact that you can be a young woman in a city feeling like you're independent, doing your own thing, finally getting your life together and just living life for yourself. She was about to get her master's degree and everything was taken from her and she did nothing wrong. I've said this before in one of my videos how women are seen as so much more vulnerable and taken advantage of just for leading average normal lives and it's so frustrating that we can be going about our business and everything can be taken from us and our families in an instant. Chandra's mother said that Chandra always used to say what difference does it make? Her mother really thought that was a very profound statement of hers because it just showed that she didn't sweat the little stuff. She would always say what difference does it make? Don't sweat the small stuff, stay as positive as possible and you can tell that Chandra was just a bright beautiful young woman. But with that we're gonna go ahead and wrap up today's episode. We'll be back next week with another episode. Thank you so much for listening and watching and I hope to see you in the water soon.